Well, we say good morning. Hey, guess what? We're going to be talking about Christ today. Can you believe that? <laughs> always. We better always be, right? Christ and me this time. Christ in me. I think we come to one of the most important memorization verses that there are in the Bible. Uh, one I think we're all very familiar with, and uh, some of us may not be, but uh, most of us should be. Make it in me. And uh, this verse that is before us today, actually, we have a couple of verses. But it says so much about ourselves and Christ as it explains what happens to us at conversion, what is happening to us now, and uh, how we are to live our lives in this very present time as we realize that uh, we have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. There's more to that. matter of fact, we might as well go on with that in our verse 20. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. What a section. What a place to be. And all over the New Testament, Paul's epistles, you will constantly read, in Christ. In Christ. In Christ. In Christ. Paul just continues to beat that in there. It's a very pervasive phrase. In every uh, epistle of Paul, you will find that in Christ. It's mentioned 40 or 50 times in the New Testament. I think one time actually Peter used it. But you can see that to Paul, it really means something. When he discovered by the power of God's Spirit that he was in Christ, he could never let himself forget it, and us too. So... <laughs> It's about being united with Christ. Believers, you are united with Christ. You're not by yourself. And uh, speaking of those in Christ, we'll give some of those famous ones. In Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Christ Jesus. If any man be found in Christ, in Christ, he's a new creature. That man be found Glory. in Christ. In Romans 16, that that whole chapter, and uh, it's at the end of a letter. It's kind of uh, giving salutes to different people, mentioning different people there, and you just keep seeing that all over the place. In Romans 16, verse three, greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Uh, go to verse 7. Greet Adronicus and Junius, my kinsmen, and my fellow prisoners who were outstanding among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. Verse 11. Greet Herodian, my kinsmen. Greet those of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Verse 12. Greet Tryphenia and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. In the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved who has worked hard in the Lord. Everything is in Christ, in the Lord. Everything that we do, everything that we do is really in Christ. The all-important, vital doctrine, isn't it? So, How does this fit with this chapter 2? And how does this fit with the rest of Galatians? just kind of seems by itself. If you've memorized this verse, you memorized it probably by itself and you didn't really recognize the verses before it and after it. So how does this fit? Well, Paul is declaring the oneness that we as believers have in Christ. We are one with Him. Of course, we're united together. I am crucified with Christ, right? That's a baffling assertion when you really think about it. In Christ. Here's the Apostle to the Gentiles. And he is addressing both Jewish and Gentiles alike and telling them that they are in Christ. And guess who he's addressing? Well, if uh, he were at Antioch, of course, Peter had come up there. you got Peter and Barnabas. And, of course, he had to uh, rebuke those great godly men 
as we looked at last week. And, uh, of course, in that section, uh, it was kind of a deplorable situation that uh, Peter had gotten into because he was eating with the Gentiles. But the Judaizers came up and he departed from the Gentiles. He did not eat with them any longer and ate with the Jews, the Judaizers. And, of course, that's where Paul came in and he realized how serious this little matter could really be. They had strong cliques that could have been developing and a, and a segregation that could have happened. Maybe was happening there. So Jews were uh, eating with the Jews and they were leaving the Gentile believers apart from there. And that's a violation of the principle of the oneness of believers. Totally violates that. Because we are one not only in Christ, we are united with Him, but we're united with all the others. And so when uh, Peter had done this, this is one of the reasons why Paul has this chapter 2. And then right at the end of this chapter, we get this magnificent verse and, and section dealing with that. And we know the cross took down the barrier, didn't it? The wall went down, according to Ephesians 2, 11-22. That barrier has now been demolished. And uh, we are all linked together in Christ regardless of what background we came from, what language we speak. So with this as the background, Paul declares, I am crucified with Christ, and nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of, the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. No man was ever justified by his own works. What was Peter doing? Well, he really wasn't thinking of it as a work. Peter proclaimed the gospel of grace, believe me. But if it's dealing with some kind of legality and some kind of food issue that the Jews once had, it's not there anymore. And Christianity is not having that barrier in front of them. And uh, so there was a matter of a little bit of works. If we do this, this will approve us a little bit more to God. We can't make ourselves more proven to God. Yes, He tests us, but in Christ we have that faith that He has given us. We're always there. Now, there's, He brings this doctrine to a culmination where there is application to this. And so a great doctrine that we get out of chapter 2 and in these verses that we're dealing with today, tremendous doctrine, but the application is highly significant also. So it's something marvelous that Paul discovered as he is in Christ. He's been rendered as a justified man. All Christians are. And what Paul declares him of himself as one who is elect, and it is true of all God's elect, is that everything that we have and, and do and we are is in union with Christ. We're going to say this a lot today. In Christ, with Christ, in Christ, Christ in us. Christ, His righteousness, His very life, His very death, His burial, His resurrection, His ascension. Everything our Savior was, everything our Savior is, all the glory that He is, He's the mediator and we experience His mediatorship. We experience everything that He has. This, this righteousness, this peace, it's ours because we are so united with Him. And this is where we find our meaning. How many times have you heard people today, I just got to go out to the woods and find myself. <laughs> and of course, all they really have to do is look at a mirror in their bedroom and find out that that's what they are. <laughs> Actually, the mirror is the Word of God. And, uh, of course, it not only convicts, but it shows us who we are. And the greatest esteem is Christ's esteem. We are in Christ. And that's where we find ourselves. That's where we find our meaning. Uh, as a Christian, we have a world view. Our world view is we know where we originated from. And we also know that there is meaning to life. And there are morals then in our views and then our destination. All those four right there. We can, as Christians, define every one of those. Every one of you who are Christians know that. 
You know where you came from. You know what your meaning is in life. You're not just some nebulous, just floating out in nowhere land and, and then after life is done, then that's it. Or if that's the way you float for eternity and all the different answers that people have. We have meaning. We have eternal life. Christ is our life. Before we go into our text today, let's pray. Father, thank You for this message that You give us. It's in Your Word. It's in Your truth. And Lord, help me to find words that can bring this more to life to each one of us. To meaning, uh, it's your spirit that brings life to it. It's, it's not me. My lack of words are still not going to do it. But it's it's the power of your Holy Spirit. But help us to know you a little bit better. The power of your resurrection and and the fellowship of your sufferings. Everything that you have given us, Lord, help us to recognize who we are in Christ. Help us to have more meaning to why we're here. To discover that. In your Son's name, in Christ, Amen. Oh, that very first line. After He's come out and said, I died to the law that I might live to God. In verse 19, that's where we left off. I have been crucified with Christ. Now what we're going to talk about here, and this is you're going to see this throughout this section, is a paradox. Quite the paradox. Paradoxes are all through Scripture. Paradoxes you find out through uh, all through life. You say, what's a paradox? What is that? Well, it seems contradictory. Self-contradiction is what it seems like. But in fact, it's actually true. It's a paradox. Have you ever heard of jumbo shrimp? Think about it. You're one of these all the time. How about self-help group? Self-help group. How about this one? Civil war. Oh, how about this one? Well-preserved ruins. Oh, you know, you've heard this one before. You've said all the time. That's pretty ugly. You ever heard of tight slacks? Or um, how about the exact estimate? You have to think about these for a while, right? Definite maybe. Political science? (laughs) Anyway, that's in the, maybe some of the language we use. We've heard those. In Scripture, you've heard these too. Exaltation through humility. James 4.10. Strength through weakness. Oh, we've heard that before, haven't we? Paul used that much. How about freedom through servitude? We're free, but we're slaves. Romans 6.18 And living through dying. A seed has to go into the ground and be buried before it can have life. Christ was buried like a seed came back to life. In our text today, we have Paul crucified. But he lives. Before he was crucified, he's actually dead. But he thought he was alive. <laughs> Oxymorons, right? Scripture is full of them. We know about dead, and so he says, I, I, uh, I have been crucified with Christ. This is a different meaning here. In Ephesians 2, 1, 5, we are dead, dead in our sins. Well, we don't realize that until the law comes along and shows us that we're dead, but we're actually dead. But here he's talking about being dead in this spiritual sense again, in that we were crucified with Christ. And I know that people would definitely have problems with that. They weren't Christians. What do you mean? It sounds like you're saying contradiction. And these are the very same people that say, hey, um, whatever you believe is fine with you and whatever I believe is fine with me. It's not, you know, If it doesn't make sense, that's okay. You know? uh, but uh, this does make sense. It's definitely something very altogether spiritual. 
Paul was crucified with Him. We were crucified with Him. We were crucified in Him as He is the mediator, as He is the surety, as He is our substitute, as He is our representative. We died with Him, crucified with Him. He he represents us. Uh, He did a finished work. The work is finished. It's done. So he's not describing a present experience even though this continues on, but it's the finished work in Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. He's not talking about a self-crucifixion. Some people put themselves on a cross every year around resurrection time. And uh, it's not a self-mortification. You know, there, we are to mortify our sins, of course. We think of... Uh, John Owen, who wrote Mortification, is saying one of the best books on dealing with that. But we're not talking about self-mortification here. He's not talking about something he had experienced, but something that was done for him by Christ at the cross. And the Lord is forever, eternally, our representative. He represents us. We didn't elect Him. Nobody elected Him. He is the one who is the representative. And of course... um, of course, He brings us in to His family. He chooses us to bring us, but uh, all He did, all that He suffered was in... Um, we, our names were there. It was on our account for our benefit. When He obeyed the law for us, obedience, right? Christ was obedient in this life. His life was righteous perfectly righteous in everything. And of course, that righteousness was transferred to us, but He obeyed the law for us. And so we obey the law in Him. When He suffered the awesome, unmitigated wrath coming from the Father, guess what? Our sins were there whenever He died under the penalty of His holy law, we suffered and died in Him. Somehow, some way, it's not that we were there in present and in time, but representatively, He was doing that job as He took on our sins. When He was buried, we were buried. When He arose, we arose. When He took His seat in heaven... We were seated with Him. Ephesians, Colossians. Look in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. These, this is just... I'm telling you, I, I wish I could get this across in a way that would just stagger us here today. And I'm going to fall so far short of that. So we're going to have to rely on God's Word and His Spirit because my human voice is not going to be able to make you jump out of your seat. But I'm telling you, I want you you don't have to jump out of your seat. Can if you want, but you need to get excited about this. I read through this all week, and as, as I, I poured through it more and more, it just, you know, it wasn't that it just occurred to me. I've heard this, I've believed it all my Christian life, but it just comes to life even more. And, and you go, this, this is just astounding. I mean, this is prolific. Verse 5, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By the way, by grace you've been saved. <laughs> and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places. There's that phrase again. In Christ Jesus. In Christ. In Christ. Paul never forgot it. He just constantly says it all the time. And of course, you have to think of Colossians. Of course, some of these verses we might wind up coming to again. But verse 1, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ... Keep seeking, while you're here, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above. Focus on that. Not this life and everything that wants to pull you back down, but focus. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. And here we go. For you have what? died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. By the way, 
may not seem like it, but we know that. That's doctrine. That's truth. Take it in. Swallow it. Eat it. That's truth. One day it will come to fruition. When Christ, who is our life, right now, He is our life. That's what Ephesians talks about. That's what our Galatians talking about. Is revealed when we shall see when He pulls back everything. We see His glory. Then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. You will then experience that glory yourselves. Wow! There is no entertainment, nothing that can speak higher than that. This is where we find ourselves. With Christ. He's seated far above this earth in the heavenlies and He says we are too right now. We may not be seeing that, but that's where we really are. We're in Christ. As we're here, He's in us. This is just phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. I am crucified with Christ. I died 2,000 years ago at the cross. I was there spiritually somehow. I can't explain it. But the penalty was paid for my sin, for your sins. Luther said this, I am crucified Christ. Luther said, the devil was crucified to me. Uh, I am crucified and the devil is crucified, but he has no more bearing over me. So that's where death was killed. That's where sin was condemned. And we're no longer bound to the law at the cross. At the cross, at the cross. Always always goes back to the cross, doesn't it? I am crucified. The penalty was paid. Matthew sixteen twenty five. Here's another one of those oxymorons, one of those paradoxes. Jesus said that Jesus used them a lot. Oh, the wisdom of God is incredible. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Save your life. The life that you have in this physical flesh and the the, the nature of that, if you want to save that, you're going to lose it. But whoever loses his life, whoever dies, whoever is crucified at the cross for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What about this world? Is this what we're after? Is this it? The Son of Man is going to come in the glory of His Father with His angels and will then repay every man according to His deeds. Of course, if you're in Christ, those deeds are the righteousness of Christ. Legally, what does this mean? We looked at the legal aspect last week about justification, being declared righteous. Uh, It's been transferred to our bank account, if you might say. We are rich in His righteousness. What did Paul mean crucified legally? What well, means to be dead to the law as in 19? Verse 19 of our Galatian passage. It means to be dead to the law. In a legal sense, it means the law no longer has any claim at all whatsoever to your life. No longer can it condemn. It already has done its job. It can't do it anymore. It is to kill us. Thank you, Lord, for your law. It has a purpose. But we live now under the law of love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, as we say. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's the law. It's in Christ. The royal law of love in Christ. So, the death of Christ was for Paul. It's for us. That means He took our place. It means there was a substitution. The cross explains our union with Christ. Everything happened there. We died to that law. We died to sin. It no longer has a hold over us. The bonds were broken. Dead to the law. It no longer condemns us. I am dead to it. To illustrate a little bit, let's say you went out and killed six men. How many times can the law 
kill you once. Let's say if they take you into the gas chamber, do they still do that anymore? And let's say, or they electrocute you, or whatever they do, the drugs, if they can find them in Oklahoma. (laughs) But let's say they do everything they can to kill you. The guy comes in and takes the straps off of you, and you jump up and say, Oh man, I feel like a a new man. Uh, what does the law do now? From what I understood, uh, Stan, whenever they used to hang people, and he usually does it, you know, like 100% of the time, but if one lived through it, guess what? He's free. You guys have heard that, right? Well, here we go. Law can't claim anything on us anymore. When you die, the law's claim has been canceled. It's done. Well, how, how shall we that died to sin live any longer in it? Well, we go to Romans 6. And this is the commentary. This is a commentary book on our little short verse in 20 of Galatians. We go to Romans 6. And it's a perfect commentary, handbook, on what we are studying today. Romans 6, 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? That that God be glorified even more? We can sin and it's all covered. It's okay. It's cool. Hey, that's great. You know, I can do anything I want. (laughs) May it all, right? How many times have we said this? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? How can we still live in that? And he's practically bringing this forth. Or do you not know that all of us all of us who are Christians, who have been baptized, and that is a dry baptism, that's not the water baptism here, who are, who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, have been baptized into His what? Death. His crucifixion. Therefore, we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead, we see here death, burial, resurrection, And, of course, we know the water baptism is a good picture of this, but the theology of this is explaining what happened to us at the cross. So as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. We died, we were crucified, we'll come back to life. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him. In order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for He who has died is freed from sin. For if we have died with Christ, crucified, we believe that we shall also live with Him. Boy, the paradoxes are incredible here, aren't they? Knowing that Christ, knowing this, you see the know, the reckon, and the yield coming up here? Okay, this is how we put it into our everyday life. If we know this doctrine, and folks, that's where everything starts. It starts with doctrine. It starts with the teaching of Christ. The grand truths of Scripture. We must have that and continually have it and being fed and be renewed as Romans 12, 2, 1 and 2 says. If we have that, then we can live it. We cannot live it without the doctrine. And anybody who has no doctrine and they try to live it out, they will eventually or very quickly show you that they can't live it out. We have a hard enough time being in Christ living this out. But know this, that Christ, having been raised from the dead, okay, you know that, right? Is never to die again. Okay, we know that. Death no longer is master over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. It's been done. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin. That's what's happened. 
we're dead to sin. But alive to God in Christ Jesus. Are you seeing the in Christ here? Know this. Reckon. Yield it. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. He's talking about how we live the life now. Here's what's happened to you. Here's who you are now. You can live this. You have the engine underneath the car that's been put in. You have all the power you need do not go on presenting the member of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God. Yield to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. We are free, folks. Keep that in your mind. That section will be great to pour over every day. Preach yourself the gospel. Our Lloyd Jones has said so often. Preach to yourself the gospel every day. And it helps you live it out as you start the day and you recognize you're running into things that are a lot different than it is than when we get to come in here and be in agreement with the Lord and confessing and praising Him and being in fellowship with these people because it's awfully easy to do that here. But boy, when you get out there, you really have to apply what He has already done. I have to think of this every day, folks. I really do. The law's claim is canceled. It doesn't have a claim on you. Penalty's been paid. Verse 14 of that Romans, sin shall not have dominion over you. Verse 18, being then made free from sin. What do you mean free from sin? I still battle it. That's what Paul really means. He's talking about sin's consequences. It's the power of sin has been broken. Yeah, sin is still there. Yeah, we battle it. We do. Verse 22 says, Now being made free from sin. Well, why are we free from sin? Well, in verse 23, For the wages of sin is death. So He had to get us out of there. Chapter 7, verse 4 says, You also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. In other words, by His perfect sacrifice, you died. Fantastic! I am glad I died. Baptized into His death. United together in the likeness of His death. Boy, this Romans is really incredible, isn't it? I think we'll have to go through the book of Romans when he's doing it. It seems like it's been years, and I think it has now. I mean, if we, it took years to get through it. But we can just go through like this and just glean a little bit there. That's really helpful. It's exciting. Christ and His death provided this. Back to our Galatians. This is this is great. I'll tell you, if, if Christians could read this, pour over it, they could hear it taught and teach it, it would sure be a lot, I think, easier to get through life. We focus on these things. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Christ lives in me. Life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. The Son of God loved me and gave Himself up for me. He put away our sins. Hebrews 9.26 Hebrews is a book that is a once-for-all thing. The great high priest has done the work. Verse 25 is good. Nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own. He continually go in there. And the once-a-year thing, the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies. And that was every year. A constant sacrifice. Sacrifice. 
verse 26. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. How many times did Christ suffer? But now, once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He put it away. Uh, He cast it into the sea. As far as the east is from the west, how far is that? (laughs) They can't ever touch. He blotted them out. He removed them. It's like he forgets. In a sense, if I can use that humanly, God can't forget. But In another sense, I guess he does. He will never remember our sins. A sea of divine forgetfulness. He cast them away. Never to be remembered by God. He's not going to bring them up before you. Throughout the rest of eternity, hey, you remember when you did that? Hey, it's okay. It's all right. <laughs> Just wanted to bring that up to you. He's not even doing that today unless the Holy Spirit is convicting us of some sin that needs to be dealt with. And then you say, oh. And then you confess. You agree with Him and you repent. And He says, okay, it's done. Move on. Don't dwell in that. Move on. Every once in a while it will pop up in our minds like what Paul did, killing the Christians. And that's a, that, that can be a good thing. It just reminds us, that, oh yeah, by the way, here's where I came from. It's okay. But we're moving on. It's uh, that we're delivered from this dominion of sin. Christ accomplished this. Christ was crucified for us. And we're talking about substitutionary atonement. Brought it up last week. I don't really know how much to go in on this again. Uh, how often do we talk about it? Uh, a lot the heart of the gospel. I don't apologize. Christ gave Himself in our place. That's what it really means. You say, well, that sounds like a really tough doctrinal word. It means for you. Substitutionary atonement means that. When somebody says that, I'll answer it. Yeah, for, F-O-R, for me. This blood's for you. Not that commercial they used to have on TV. This blood's for you. You know what? He gave Himself in our place the worst death. The worst death is the sinner's death. That's what He had as He took on its sin. He was my proxy. He was my representative. He was cursed for us. Right? Anyone crucified on a tree, is they're cursed. The doctrine of the substitutionary atonement. Christ paid the just demand of the Father for the sin of the elect. Been under attack. Probably been under attack for the whole church age. But it certainly has been under attack in our time. And a lot of people don't believe what we're talking about. And and we're talking about denominational churches. We're not talking about cults. We're talking about people in the church today that they'll say, yes, Christ died for us, but that's being a substitute for us, no. And God the Father wouldn't demand that His Son be killed. He set an example to show how much He loved us by dying on the cross. He set an example. Sounds pretty good. If you're liberal... (laughs) Some people are not even liberal and, and they will use that idea of the example. Sounds really hard. It sounds eventual. That's why you had the postmodern church that came along. Postmodern church seems to be dying. I don't hear too much about it anymore. It's just the emergent church, right? We heard so much about it. Those things come and they go. They fizzle. By the way, the church in the West, listening to um, Robbie Zacharias, he's got some pretty good points. It seems to be doing what has happened in Europe, England, Germany, France. All you have to do is look at that, and you can look at our country, and you can look at the church. It's going the same way, folks. I don't see people excited about going to church. I see people who used to go to church who don't go anymore. They don't need it. And, of course, that could be true because they could be going to dead churches. It's always puzzling to me. This is one of the places that I know of. There are other churches here in Jeff City that are preaching the gospel. Don't get me wrong. Please don't. 
But why is it that we're just a, a few? Just a few. And just because you go to big churches, it doesn't mean there are a lot there that are really Christians. It's just a few there, probably. If they're relying on anything else than the grace of Christ. My heart cries out for that. But it's offensive. The gospel is very offensive. It sounds vengeful. It sounds hard. It sounds crude that the Father would demand that justice be taken care of and the only way was to take His Son and put Him on the cross and put our sin upon Him. Sounds unrefined. What kind of loving God is that? So they strike that out. They don't talk about the blood. Awful gory. That's, that's gruesome. It's the loving Son of God. You know what? That's What He did was the most radical indictment of my hopeless condition imaginable. It's radical to know what Christ did. How hopeless I would be had He not done that. Crucifixion. Open display of my hellish nature. My dead nature. There it was. He took it on the cross. The hellish nature that I had, He did something with it, didn't He? My representative, He died as my substitute, as my representative. Adam was my representative. We saw what He did. And we saw how sin did so much damage to him, Eve, the rest of his family to becoming the rest of the human race, and he represented everybody in Adam or in Christ. Which one do you want? First Corinthians fifteen. Romans five. We are found not in Adam anymore. But Jesus is the rock of offense. It is God's wisdom. And it does not taste good to the postmodern thought of our day. That's the age we live in. It's not palatable. So therefore, it's something that we don't mention here. We don't want to be offensive to the seeker. Oh no, we don't want to mention that. We don't want to talk about the blood. Boy, we gotta. We have to move on. Oh boy, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. I have to keep moving on. No longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's next, but we still have to cover this. I. I. We, we didn't touch the first word yet. I. Personal pronoun. There are five of those in this section. Personal faith rests in my. Union. C.H. Spurgeon, which I will use to help back me up here. The verse swarms with I and me. A lot of times we don't like to touch those. We just want to, you know, be focused on Christ. But we have to deal with that because we are here. (laughs) This is us. We can say this just as Paul said it. I. I. Okay. Spurgeon goes on to say, Christianity brings out a man's individuality not making him selfish, but making him realize his own separate existence and compelling him to meditate on his own sin, his own salvation, his own personal doom, unless saved by grace. So we bring in the personal aspect. The interweaving of our own personality with that of Jesus Christ. We are there. Uh, Someone has explained it. When we see two trees growing together, pretty close to each other, they're distinct. They live side by side. But if you go down into the ground and you go into the roots, we would observe that they're so interlaced, interwoven together that you couldn't tell which one's roots are the one to that one and one to the other. They're so combined underneath there. And how much it is with us. What part of me is me and what's part of Christ? I don't know. It's okay. I like it like that. Praise God. 
Such are Christ and those who believe. We did our... How about Galatians 6.14? Still focusing on that death, crucifixion. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the... Verse 14. But may it ever be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So when that crucifixion happened, I am crucified to the world. All the pull that it has. Paul's saying, I'm in grace. What would I want going back to the law? What do I be doing there? The law caused me to die. I die and that deal's over with. No more death for you. You die. You're born twice. You die once physically. We will die. But there was a spiritual death there. But the penalty's been paid. It's been passed. It's a completed action. has present results. Now we go on to the next section. It's still in that same verse. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. A Christian is a person who has died with Christ. We've covered that. His stiff neck has been broken. His brain, I mean, his, his forehead has just been like crushed, shattered. And the stony heart has been so crushed, it's now soft. Pride has been slain. And our life is mastered by Jesus Christ. It is no longer I who live. What happened at the cross? Every part of you died. I'm alive, but it's no longer my life. Luther said that life was condemned. Your hellish nature that you had was condemned and it belongs to death and hell. You have a new life. I live by another's life. I'm alive but it's not my life. I'm alive. Alive in Christ. The resurrection makes that possible. The resurrection of Jesus Christ makes it all possible. Look in Philippians 3, 10 and 11. Oh, we've gone to this so many times. Paul wrote it, that I may know Him to have an intimate relationship with Him and the power. Wouldn't you like to know the power of that resurrection? That's the same power that was put in you when you were regenerated. The very resurrection life of Christ was put in you. What kind of dynamite is that? By the word, the word for power probably is dunamis there. Power, dynamite of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. I want to know that too. He did. Being conformed to His death. Why? In order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. The physical resurrection from the dead. He wanted to experience it all. Christ living in Him. Yet not I. Not not that old person. That nature is gone and we now have a new nature in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 You guys know that one too, right? There's another... Boy, have you noticed how all these passages tie together? All these famous ones we know. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that means all believers, if you're in Christ, He's a new creature. Why? Because the other one's dead. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Good news, folks. Man, this is just good news from every line to the next line here today. Have you noticed this? I'm excited. Wow. It's the gift and the very work of God. A new righteous nature that He's given. He's united to us. We're united to Him. We are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. We are one with Him. Look in Ephesians 5, 30-32. Galatians is right at, or, uh, before Ephesians. I have to tell myself that. That's what I'm doing. Okay, verse 35. 30 says, Because... We 
are members of His body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. So we too have become one flesh with Christ. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and you guys, the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Of course, you get the whole analogy there. That's what marriage is. It's a great picture of what really something that is bigger, and that's Christ and the church. And uh, so it's a, it's a great mystery. Christ and the church joined to Him. We're members of His body. We are in that. We're going to spend eternity with each other in glory. Christ is our life. He's formed in us. He dwells in us. He is united to us. We're one with Him. We're united to Him. His life is our life. His life is our life. Our spiritual life is His. It is Christ living in us. Uh, wow. That's, that just sounds almost like new age. But it's not. It's totally different. We are not God. But the God of the universe has come to dwell, to live in us. He never will leave us again, ever. Nevertheless, I live. This is our present experience of grace. Nevertheless, I live. Oh, wow. i to move. In the flesh. And the flesh there is saying, oh, nevertheless, I live in the sinful flesh. Not, not there. They're just talking about in this body while I'm here on earth, while I'm, I'm, I'm here. Nevertheless, uh, I'm living here this present experience of grace that I have uh, as I'm living in this. Every believer is a paradox. You are a paradox. I feel it. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. <laughs> Every day sometimes, probably, right? Especially lately. Righteousness of Christ lives in us. Baffling. But Christ, I know I'm saying the same thing over and over. We participated in His crucifixion. We participated in His resurrection. It's not our own life, but it's Christ. He owns it. We are united with Christ, and we can go with so many passages that we've done some. I'm going to let those work. The paradox of life by faith, this this how it is. This this is what makes the junction here. He gives us the faith, and this explains what's going on right now. But Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, while I'm living here, I live by faith in the Son of God. I'm doing it by faith. That's what connects us. It's the connecting joint between us and God, and He gave that to us so that we, as a, a car on uh, in this in this train. That's you know, right on down through the tracks. We're connected to the engine. And we have that link right there. That's, that's faith. He gave us that faith. He linked us. It's the faith by which both the author and the object that we're, we're linked to there. We have faith in Him. It's the instrument of the flesh. The, the flesh is our instrument. We're to, Romans 6 said we are to use these instruments as righteousness. Not unrighteousness, but they're instruments. Televisions are instruments. DVD players are instruments. Computers are instruments. You can use them for bad. You can use them for good. Our bodies are instruments. They can be used for righteousness or unrighteousness. By faith, we're joined to Christ. We read that in Romans 5.30, right? Or Ephesians 5.30. Um, but it's by faith that we believe that uh, He's the Son of God. We're uh, link to Him. Uh, this is how we live our lives. Every day, you go to work, whatever you do tomorrow, whatever you do today, you live by faith, Son of God, who loved me. And that's that's easy. But don't just whisk by it and say, I know He loves me. But you know what? I think Paul must have been delighted to write these words. It is so comforting to know that kind of love. Before the foundation of the world, He loved you. He knew you. He foreknew you, as it says in Romans 8. And that means He just didn't know about you, what you were going to do, because all of a sudden that's going to take what away from His glory, bring a little glory to us. No, He 
He knew us before we were ever even born. He foreknew us. He had a relationship with us. And only an eternal God, not bound by time, can do that. I can't explain it. We weren't there. We don't believe in the Mormons. Mormons believe that you've always been here. You were like uh, the pen and you know the, the ink that goes in there, you know, and it comes out the shell. And, uh. But he's eternal. He loves us. He loves us personally. He loves us particularly, and it's a very distinguishing love. And he has the same love for each one of us. And it doesn't get better. It's at the best that it can ever be. God doesn't grow. Mormons would teach that too. Why am I bringing that up? There's so many other religions that try to take this word and twist it, don't they? Gave Himself for me. Who loved me and gave Himself up for me. We've already said that. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. And that last verse is really summing all of this up. Think back now, the thing what Peter was doing with the food issue, and Barnabas joining some of the other ones, and actually Paul was by himself as he has to bring this rebuke. And to nullify the grace of God is to cast it away. I mean, he just takes it and takes it to the extreme. It means to despise, to reject, to make it void. That's what they were doing with the grace of God. Now, did Peter believe in the grace of God? Yeah. We do this sometimes with the grace of God ourselves. Here he asserts that every assertion that salvation is a result of something men do is to cast away, deny, despise, reject, to make void the very grace of God. And all the cults do that. All the other religions do that if they don't trust in Christ's sacrifice alone. The result of human effort is a denial of the whole gospel. And Romans five or Galatians five one through four is about that. It's a it's frustrating the very grace of God, and that's what he's saying. Peter, don't you understand what this really means? Then it sounds so simple. You're just eating with the Jews now, but I'm telling you where this is taking it. He was dependent upon his little work there, of eating the Jewish food, so it wouldn't look bad who's other Jewish, the Judaizers who were destroying that, making the gospel. They, they were making it uh, rejected, null and void. Well, that makes the doctrine of salvation by works a criminal doctrine. If you add anything to grace, grace alone, right? That's right. Paul was determined to give works no place at all. We see it here in Galatians. You see it in Romans. You see it in Ephesians. You see it in Philippians. You just go through all the epistles. Go through every book in the Bible. You see the same thing. That that chain is all right there. He boldly opposed anything that would bear any resemblance to kind of adding some kind of merit to the salvation. He went to the extreme. So when Peter sided with the Judaizers at Antioch and he seemed to teach that Gentile believers must live by the law, he publicly witnessed him to the face. Wow. Do you see how serious that section was when we, when we dealt with it last week? Said, That's something that happened historically. Does it really have any bearing? Well, when you come to this section right here, do you get it? Do you see what expository, expository teaching does? If we were just left off of last week, left us hanging, or if we just picked this verse by itself, it would mean a lot, and we could. And we did. We did, we did it to, but we go back and say, here's what happened. Then you move on to chapter 3. <laughs> and then you see how it's placed there. It's not by accident. The Holy Spirit did that. The Gospel of Christ is a declaration, salvation by grace alone. It's the good news of of Jesus Christ is accomplished by the obedience of God's Son all the way to the death as the sinner substitute. We pray. Thank you. Father, we have so much to be thankful for. This is the best news that anyone could ever hear. I can't, I can't imagine anything being better. There is nothing better. If anybody would think there would be something better, oh Lord, wake them up. There is 
This is it. This is the top of the line that we can hear at this time, at this present time. And Christ, in Christ. Thank You, Lord, for Your Word, Your truth. May it speak to us today and may we be able to take this and now apply it to know this, to reckon and also to yield to this truth so that we can bear the very image of Jesus Christ in an outward way that's coming inwardly. That has already happened to us. In the Son's name, Amen. Amen. Now we're going to have the band come up here and we're going to sing a song. Guess what? I have been crucified with Christ. Now you may not have ever heard this song. This is There are other songs with this title, but this one's a little different. It's uh, Rod and Mark who does this. But it's a little thing with very few words. But our verse today had very few words, but imagine the meaning and it should be sticking in our head and I hope by the end of the song you can be singing with us. It's easy to sing. One time, I think we used to sing a song way back in the old days. But that's not this. <laughs> but that's a good one. I thought of that too. <laughs> we might have to wind up doing that, right?
might be walking out of here today singing that song in your head and tomorrow you'll wake up with it and you go, where did that come from? Why is that still there? But that's a good memory, isn't it? And so um, we really don't have the, uh, the elements today here. And, um, of course, we want to remember uh, Julia because she was here and she had to leave along with Bob. I didn't know if Bob was going to be able to be back and he came in just in time. But her back went out, and you, you know Julia, the history of her back. And she immediately had to go uh, to the chiropractor. And uh, I think the doctor made it worse. I'm not sure, right? Or well, better. <laughs> I don't know. It, uh, she got adjusted yesterday, and um, and then it was it started getting worse and worse and worse. And so this morning he uh, saw her uh, to... So she may have been overcorrected or something like that. And, and, you know, 